All right, well, good morning. Thank you uh, again for tuning in with us. And, um, you know, it is really appreciated to have everyone here uh, this morning. Uh, it's, it's four of us. It's a smaller crew today. And uh, we are still practicing our social distancing as um, we have uh, taken the uh, uh, directive to heart. And we're, we're trying the best that we can to be here in order to... Uh, uh, bring you a, a Sunday service that's as uh, uh, normal as possible, if, if we can. Uh, and today is uh, it's a great uh, day that we celebrate as we, we do uh, look at Palm Sunday as uh, the, the triumphal entry of, of Christ arriving into Jerusalem. And uh, we sang songs about that this morning that reflected that. And uh, we, we shared verses that reflected that. And uh, some of those verses... Uh, we're actually part of the, the sermon, so it's a good thing that we, we shared those early because now we can just refer back to those and uh, try not to take up too much time. So this morning, uh, what I wanted to do is uh, just take a minute and uh, we're going to pray and um, we're going to talk about expectations and what an expected king looked like and how uh, the expected king was received and what that kind of means for us. So why don't you join me as we pray. Father God, we thank you again for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity, God, to be here, to be able to still uh, preach your word, uh, to be able to reach into the lives of our members and families and friends. Uh, and God, we're, we're still not stopped. Your word's not stopped. Uh, you uh, still reign. You're still in control. And while uh, we may be in our homes, we know, God, that you're still with us. So uh, be with us this morning as we dive into your word a little bit, that we'll be challenged and refreshed, and that we'll um, uh, maybe leave challenged to, to look at things a little differently in the future. So God, we ask these things in your name. Amen. So we are going to start in the book of Matthew this morning, as um, they read, uh, we read the, the account from John, but we're going to read the account from Matthew as well. And what's interesting about this story in the, uh, the Gospels is that all four Gospels uh, carry the triumphant arrival of Christ into the city. Um, it's, it's, to me, it's important because there, it shows that there is a significant purpose to this event and to uh, what's happening around the city, what's happening uh, with Christ, what's happening with the uh, religious leaders, and what's happening with the political leaders at the time. And one of the, uh, uh, the neat things is, is we look in uh, Matthew chapter 21, and it says in verse 1, And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey and tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. 
Now, I think what's interesting and one of the neat things about this story in that it is in all of the Gospels is that um, two of the accounts are eyewitness accounts. Matthew's account and John's account are, are from uh, what we believe to be the disciples, Matthew and John. Uh, Mark and Luke are uh, both writers of Gospels, and, and they have also included this story in their Gospel. And Mark, we know, probably uh, got most of his information from Peter. Luke, who uh, did a lot of investigating on the subject, to, uh, to, to show that what they were preaching, this message of, of expected kingdom, this message of, of uh, faith and grace and, and the gospel as we know it, uh, it, it was done to, to show that there is truth to this. So there's a, a lot of work that's done in this by the disciples and the writers of the gospels. And what it does is it points to this idea of an expected king. And I can only imagine in, in this situation how it would look to have a parade of one person coming down into the city and the people in the front and the people behind and the people all around the city gathered together and they're shouting and they're, uh, they're looking at it. And this, this is their expected king. This is the king that they've been waiting for. This is the king that the Old Testament prophets have pointed to. This is the person that was going to arrive. This is the king that would rule like David. They, they would uh, uh, see the glory of Israel brought back. The oppressors would be destroyed. The kingdom would be reunited. And Jesus would be king to all. This was their expectation. And more importantly to them, the expectation was that Rome had finally met its match. This was no longer going to be uh, oppression by a government, oppression by people that have uh, destroyed uprisings and, and held people uh, as slaves and, and mistreated. This was going to be their chance to be restored. This expected kingship, this is exactly what they were looking for. Now, what's interesting to me is that the gospel writers do go to lengths to, to point to uh, the expectations that the people had. Uh, in Matthew chapter 2, we're introduced to King Herod as the wise men who come from afar looking for this, uh, this new king, the king of the Jews. And they, and they actually ask him, hey, we want to go worship this king of the Jews. And they ask Herod, who is a, a king figure at the time, where is he? And this kicks off this, this chain of events that leads to this massive infanticide where King Herod is upset and he's fired up because now he has a, a king to uh, uh, kind of uh, be in conflict with who's going to take over. So there is this understanding that this king was coming. There was an understanding that this lineage was a rightful claim to the throne. Uh, both uh, the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they are uh, tied together as, as there's a lot of retelling of what happens in those stories. But they all uh, tell these stories of different opportunities where Jesus is moving through the crowds and he's healing people and he's, he's, he's bringing sight back to the blind. And these people recognize him as the son of David. Again, this would be an opportunity for them to show that there is a rightful claim to this king, this expected king who's coming. And that's the words that pop up here in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, where it says, again, the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
that had to be quite a sight again to see all the people gathered around. There was an expectation that something amazing was going to happen. When uh, Ashley and I had first started dating, um, we decided we were going to go see a movie. And um, this is, uh, it's, it's a little more of an embarrassing story on my behalf. It was uh, a movie that had come out and they pitched it as this was like the next Shrek. And uh, we, I, I'm a big fan of the Shrek movies. I, I think it's a great character. It's funny. Uh, I, I relate to Shrek. Uh, in a number of ways, uh, but I, I hype this up to, oh, we're going to go see this movie. It's going to be amazing. The people that made Shrek made it, and it's funny, and you're going to love it, and it's just going to be a great time. And I, I think I spent a week just really pitching this and, and pushing it, and we're going to have a great time. And, and we had bought tickets to go a little bit later in the night because I figured this is a, a kid's movie. It's going to be amazing. We don't want to go when there's a lot of kids because I don't want to sit in a theater full of children. And uh, I can tell you that on every account was I wrong. The movie is called Hoodwinked. And it is probably by far the worst movie I've ever seen in a theater. The worst movie I've ever seen anywhere. And we bought tickets to a later show. And, and I promise you, we walked into that theater and it was full of children. And from the time it started to the time it ended, I didn't find a single part that was funny. I, nothing was appealing. It was the story wasn't good. The characters weren't good. There was nothing redeeming about this movie except for the fact that I was with my wife, who uh, I really thought at that time, this is over. We're going to leave the theater, and there's really no chance that we're going out ever again. And, uh, you know, fast forward to all these years later, uh, she still makes jokes about me taking her to go see that movie. But I could tell you, it did not live up to my expectations. It was a disappointment. It was everything that I didn't want it to be. And unfortunately, while this is a much deeper, uh, impactful story of Jesus coming in to the city... The expectations that the people had were not met. So we look at this idea of the expected king. We're going to tie it all together in the end as we kind of compare the two. But now there's this picture laid out in Scripture that continues in Matthew chapter 1 about the real king. After his arrival into the city, this king who was supposed to be this new military king this great warrior king like David who was going to reunite the people and deliver people from bondage and, and reestablish the power of Israel, his first act, his first military act, if you will, was on the temple. Let's continue reading. And I don't think I have a slide for it, but if you have your Bible open, it is still in Matthew chapter 21, and it's in verse 12. It says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind men and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, there that line is again, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself. 
And he left them and went out to the city to Bethany, and he spent the night there. The expectation is that now their king is coming to set up his kingdom. Now their king is coming to declare liberty, to declare freedom. And his first act, the first thing he does is he strolls into the temple and he causes havoc and he picks a fight with the religious leaders. And this theme is going to play out over the next week as there's continued teaching and there's this continued battle and there's this continued back and forth between Jesus and the religious leaders. And we see this in John. John also gives the account of the weeks that this happened and as it led up. And we see later on in the week as Jesus is arrested and he's brought to trial. And again, this kind of ties in both this idea that there was this expected king and there's this real king. And how are the two compared and contrasted? And we see what John tells us in chapter 18. And there's this portion of scripture that has uh, Jesus has been arrested and he's brought to trial and him and Pilate are having this exchange. And Pilate tells Jesus, here's what's happening. They've brought you to me for a reason. These are what's happening. These are the charges. These are what's drummed up. And he comes out point blank and he just says to him, are you the king of the Jews? Is this who you are? And if we look in John chapter 18, uh, picking up verse 36, this is where the story really gets interesting. In the previous uh, verse, well, back to 33, it says, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? This is an acknowledgement that there was a king, that this is a king, that they are expecting him or that he is calling himself a king, that this is the real king. This is the king that Jesus is. And Jesus answered, said, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered and said, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And this is where Jesus takes this expected king and he turns it completely upside down on its head. And this is what he says. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. The people expected a king that was going to be this this great and mighty warrior. They expected a king in this physical sense where there was going to be a kingdom, there was going to be a throne, there was going to be somewhere for Jesus to sit, to rule and reign. And Jesus takes this whole idea and he turns it on his head and he says, I'm going to tell you what the real king is. This isn't about a physical kingdom. This isn't about being here. This is about a spiritual kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And he pushes it one step further. He says, if it were, my servants would be fighting to keep me out of this situation, which I find incredibly interesting because when we look at who Jesus spent most of his time with, he's talking about his disciples and probably the people that were following him as as the leader, as the Messiah, as the one who was truly from God, the one that was going to be this lamb that John the Baptist spoke about that took away the sins of the world. And to think, would all of these people be able and willing to stand up against the Roman army? He said, I am a king, for this I have been born. For this I have come to the world to testify to the truth. 
Jesus is a king. He's not the king that Israel expected. He's not the king that was going to deliver from bondage, from Rome. But he is the king that was going to deliver us from the penalty of death. He is the king that was going to stand, that was going to to sacrifice himself, to take away the sins of the world. He is the king that would come into the world so that we may have life. Who is of the truth? Here is my voice. And Pilate has an interesting answer to this, and his answer is, what is truth? Um, When Taryn was maybe three or four, we had gone to Olive Garden, and... um, we were eating on a, maybe it was a Sunday afternoon, it's not really relevant, I guess, but um, she ordered off the kids' menu, and um, she ordered the make-your-own pasta. She told the waitress what she wanted and how she wanted it, and um, the waitress left, and we sat there, and for a couple minutes, things went by, and Taryn kind of became crestfallen and a little disappointed, and we could tell something was not right, something was wrong. Taryn was expecting at that point to be able to go into the back in the kitchen and quite literally make her own pasta. It wasn't very clear in the uh, menu, so I can understand that her expectations at the time were something completely different than what was going to happen. And I think this is what happens when our expectations... Here's the truth. When reality does not meet our expectations... It ends in disappointment. When we think about what's happening in this situation, this arrival into the city, and how it's going to go from this joyous moment and this great occasion to fast forward to a couple of days later to Jesus being beaten and mocked and scorned and ultimately led to be hung on a cross, that something has to change. What has to happen? And, and I wonder if it were maybe some of these things. And Scripture is not clear. This is totally my thoughts and what I I picture in my head happening. And I look at it and I think, these people have seen Roman triumphs before. They've seen what happens in these parades as Rome has conquered one nation to the next and how political leaders have come in and out of the city and how there's a great parade, this great triumph that follows where they have the, the generals and the leaders, and they're all in uniform, and the soldiers, and this fanfare, and all of this might, all of this power that comes in, in comparison to Jesus, who comes in quietly on the back of a donkey, with humility, with a mind of servanthood. And the Romans, when their military parades have come in, they've come in to celebrate a, a, a battle of victory that they have conquered, Uh, another nation, they've conquered another people group, that they have been victorious in military battle. And Jesus' arrival is aimed at attacking the religious leaders. And one by one, all these dominoes start to fall in place. I wonder if people are looking going, maybe this really isn't the king we're looking for after all. 
Maybe, maybe there's something a bit more to this. And, and there's different parts of Scripture that point to people who are skeptics of Christ and who He was, His family members. Uh, there's a portion in John chapter 7 where there's this brief exchange between Jesus and His brothers. And His brothers are basically looking at Him and they're saying to Him, if you are really who you say you are, if you are this Messiah, if you are this person, why don't you just go reveal yourself to everybody? Just show them who you are. Nobody does this in private. There's no point to keeping it a secret. That's the goal, isn't it? To get everybody to understand, to see who you are, so that they can come to know who you are. And Jesus has all these different uh, opportunities where he's teaching, and there's this other account in, in the book of John. Uh, we're not going to turn there to save time, but there's this, this account where Jesus is talking to the crowd. And he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And all of a sudden, people are like, wait a minute, hold on. I didn't sign up for this. This is not what we expected. We didn't expect this idea of cannibalism. This is barbaric. This is not something we do. We had an expectation of this. And people left that day disappointed. Later, as as Jesus is crucified and he's gone, there's two accounts where the disciples are hanging out together. And Peter, who spent time in all that energy and learning and, and, and gleaning from Christ and, and following Him as a disciple gets to the point where He's just so broken and He's so downcrested. And His mindset is, there's no hope. This is not what I expected. The reality is, Jesus is gone and I'm going back to my old way of life. Why? I think the problem is sometimes we would rather mark Jesus with what we think he is rather than what he truly is. There is nothing that Jesus did in these situations. There's nothing that he did in this arrival. There's nothing that he did by coming into the temple that was any different than what he said he had come to do. He had come to establish his kingdom. He had come that there would be a a change in focus, that people would truly worship God. There would be a new king but it would not be a physical realm. And sometimes our expectations are just not the reality of what Jesus is, of what He's come to do. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, there's a portion of Scripture that talks about Christ as our example. And this is what it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. I guess this is ultimately where our expectations and our reality have to figure out how to coexist together. What is our expectation? I heard a pastor who had said this, and I thought it was good, so I'm sharing it. His name is, I think, Thomas Fuller. It says, in the end, you need to let Jesus imprint on you 
rather than you imprint on him. And it all kind of goes back, and, and I, that quote again, when reality does not meet our expectations, it ends in disappointment. What is it that we expect? What is it that we're looking for? Uh, you know, we, we've all heard the, 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 you know, Jesus is not a genie, God's not a genie, he's not just a, but sometimes that's what we expect. We just expect that, boom, he's going to pop up and he's going to just deliver us and it's just going to happen. And we want our preconceived ideas. That's got to be what God is. And I, I saw this play out uh, about a, a week or so ago. Um, my, my, my youngest daughter, Evangeline, has a uh, baby shark puzzle. And there's all the different sharks for the song. And as you pull the piece out, it sings the song. And when you put the piece in, the song stops. Or I've, Either way, that's how it works. But they're different sized sharks, but they all look very similar. And I'm watching her try to do this puzzle as she takes the big shark and she's trying to put it in the baby shark puzzle piece holder. And it's singing this song and she's trying to make it fit. And she turns it this way and she tries to make it fit. And she turns it that way and tries to make it fit. And she's starting to hit it harder and harder and harder and harder. And then finally she takes the puzzle and she chucks it and she's done. But that's us. When our expectation is, no, this God, this is definitely, this is what it is. This is who you are. This is what you're going to do. We get to the point where it just, it doesn't fit. And instead of stopping and looking at it and going, oh, this doesn't fit because it's the wrong expectation. We just throw it away and walk away. That leads to anger. It leads to disappointment. It leads to fear. And we're stuck in, in this situation where all of those things have been boiling up to the surface. Anger, frustration, fear, worry, doubt. And we might stop and we might look in all of this and go, God, how could you let this happen? What is going on? I, I can't handle this anymore. He doesn't fit our mold, but we can still fit into his. And the problem is when he doesn't fit into our mold, it's not our fault. It's his fault. That's just not true. That's not the reality of what God is and who God is. So maybe this isn't the typical triumphant, happy Palm Sunday message as we look at these two kings, this expected king, this real king. And I don't know if the slide made it up because I skipped over it. Adrian is, is keeping track. He's hanging out with us today. But here's the thing. That last blank, before you fill it in, I don't know what you thought it might have been. The great king? The great expectation? But it's really the great disappointment. Because when we set ourselves up to model God, to model Christ after us, it's going to lead in disappointment every time. He's the sustainer. He's the healer. He's the provider. In Him, we find grace and we find mercy. This week, we started a devotional with the youth group. And if you'd like one, you can email us and we can send it to you. But it covers the week leading up to the death of Christ. The very first day, it talks about why Jesus. Why did Jesus come? It's a, it's a moment to kind of push pause and forget everything that's going to lead up to, to this to, to next week, the death, the burial, the resurrection, but that pause, why did Jesus come? 
And Ephesians lays out these verses that talks about before the foundations of the earth, this was the plan that God had put in place, that because of his grace and because of his mercy and because of his love for us, that he poured all of this out into Christ, that we would have this restored relationship with God. That's the king. That's the real king. Jesus gives these real simple commands. Come to me. Take on my yoke. Follow my example. I, I think it would be a, a good idea to maybe have some homework, some idea of homework, something to think about. But over, over the rest of this week, as you find time to sit quietly and you find time to either talk with your family or, or to pray or to meditate, think about what, what are my expectations for Christ? What are my expectations for this relationship that I have? What is his expectations for me? How am I growing? How am I resting in Him? How am I learning? Pastor John talked last week about this pruning and, and cutting away of branches. And, and it, it's painful, but it, it brings new growth. And if the expectation for us is to continue through this process of new growth and this process of pruning and this process of learning together, then the question is, what comes next? Where is our rest? Where is our resilience? What are we relying on? And what are our expectations? And if they need to be redefined, how do we redefine them? So just kind of thinking about what that means for me and understanding that the reality of Christ here, the reality of what he's called me to do, is exactly this. Taking that time to pause. Taking that time to stop and think. And taking that time to redefine the real expectations that Christ has for me and not the other way around. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for who you are. And uh, I'll admit this is different in sitting here in an empty room and trying to uh, be engaging and, and, and to share uh, your word. Uh, but God, there is a reality to the king that you are. Uh, you are here. You came. You established your kingdom in the spiritual realm. And it will one day be established in the physical realm. God, you will uh, deliver us. You do provide freedom and liberty from sin. God, we don't have to stand in bondage. We can stand in freedom knowing that you have sacrificed everything for us. Father, as we look at our expectations for you, I pray that this would be challenging on some level to understand. Your expectations are what reality is. Who you are, who you revealed yourself to be, who we know you to be. God, I pray that you would just kind of work that into our lives over the, this time of pause, that we can meditate on that, that we can stop to think, am I, am I living up to the expectations that God has? Am I being a faithful witness? Am I learning? Am I growing? Am, are there areas in my life that I need to just stop and, and think, how does this change? Do I have a different expectation of who you are and what you're able to do and willing to do in my life? God, I pray that you would just keep us safe. I do uh, uh, praise you for the, the healing that we've seen in our, our congregation and our families. God, for those who have been impacted further by this, that you would just continue to heal. God, that you would give us peace, that you would give us uh, just a calmness as uh, we go about our daily lives. 
God, we thank you for who you are, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We look forward to being back here with you this way next week in some form. Uh, As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them in the boxes below, or you can email us to the church, or uh, email Pastor John directly to hawkman2 at aol.com. Thanks, and from all of us here in the building and afar from staff, uh, have a wonderful day.